The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. I really played the role for the organizational setup, for the legal and administrative things. The real, let's say, the, the people in front uh, contacting and representing, knowing much more than me about it, was not me. So I was really more in, in the back than I'm now. That totally changed. But I really had to grow into that role and, and into the and also into the field to really understand. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast, Season 8, Bonus Episode 106. We are having a replay of a very popular episode from our archives, and I'll get into just who that is in just a second. But if you missed last episode, we had a great replay episode with one of our more popular episodes of all time, an interview with Michael Sicienza talking about the exact economics you need to understand when opening up your first farm. It was popular then. And it also was popular in this second wave when we released it. And so it's been something that I've been doing as I get ready and the team gets ready for launching episode nine. I appreciate you being patient as a listener to hear some of this new content. I know some of you are chomping at the bit as you've gotten a preview of some of the guests that are coming up soon. So thanks for all your patience and for checking out some of this past content. Hopefully you've been able to make your way through some of those archives as well. We've got so many great guests, over a hundred solid enlightening and very informational episodes that I think you'll appreciate and enjoy. This week's episode is a replay of my conversation with Christine Zimmerman Lossel. She is the head of the Association for Vertical Farming, and it's tying in very nicely with an event I've got coming up. I'll be attending Vertifarm in Dortmund in September, towards the end of September. And you've no doubt, if you've been listening, been hearing some of the promos for that event coming up. So please check that out. I know there's a several conferences being mentioned in these past episodes, and there's so many great conferences coming up that it's hard to keep up with all of them. But I'm very grateful to be partnering with several of them, including Vertifarm, Horty Agri Next, 
I just had a great experience with Indoor AgCon earlier this year and Indoor AgTech NYC as well. If you're not familiar with Vertiform, you can learn more at vertiform.de. This is a great conversation with Christine. We learn a bit about her entrepreneurial spirit and how her natural curiosity led her from studying philosophy and political science to leading one of the largest vertical farming advocate organizations. Christine talks about the need for all companies in the vertical farming space to work together to combat issues like overpopulation, climate change, and other planetary crises facing the world. And given that's been what's been happening recently in the world with fires and unfortunately the news coming in today from Maui, it's been pretty sad to hear. And so this felt like something that was top of mind and felt like something that we needed to talk about. And I felt like sharing Christine's episode was timely. Remember, if you're enjoying this episode, past episodes, and you have not done so already, I'd love nothing more than kick off season nine with uh, several new reads of ratings and reviews of this show. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. That's VFP for Vertical Farming Podcast. And I would love to read yours out on a future episode, specifically the one kicking off season nine. Okay, before we jump into this uninterrupted conversation with Christine, here are a few words from the amazing folks that support this show. This year, Vertiform takes place from September 26th through September 28th at the Exhibition Center in Dortmund, Germany. For those new to Vertiform, it's the most significant trade fair for next-level farming and new food systems. Their international platform is set to showcase the latest developments in innovative controlled production systems for vegetables, salad crops, herbs, and microgreens, as well as sustainable fish, insect breeding, fruit cultivation, and medicinal plants. Vertiform is shaping the future of vertical farming and new food systems. Reserve your ticket and learn more at vertiform.de. That's V-E-R-T-I-F-A-R-M dot D-E. This episode is brought to you by Horty Agri Next, November 20th to the 22nd. In this first edition of the conference, you can expect a vibrant show that will bring together a portfolio of high-level horticulture technology to the Emirates, with the goal of aiding the Emirates to take the next step in becoming more self-sufficient in their food production, aligning with their 2051 goals. The show is expecting eight to 10,000 visitors over the three days and will include investors, buyers, curious farmers, government officials, university professors, and association members. Booths are still available and exhibitors are welcome. Partners for the conference include the Abu Dhabi Agriculture and Food Safety Authority, Dutch Greenhouse Delta, and Wageningen University, which will provide a wealth of knowledge and insight. Sessions will include a mix of Emirati and Dutch speakers and will highlight how these different worlds will come together in partnership. Based in Abu Dhabi, the agricultural hub of the UAE, the government's involvement will ensure that companies interested in partnering with the Emirates receive their full support. Co-located with VIV MEA 2023, the premier show in livestock production and animal husbandry, this week will provide a comprehensive look at the entire ag industry supply chain, both vertically and horizontally. So Christine Zimmerman Lossel, Chairwoman at the Association for Vertical Farming, thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Very happy. Thank you, Harry, for having me. <laughs> we were talking about uh, where we're at and we're both compete, uh, competing to see who's in the coldest location. <laughs> yes, I can't <laughs> compete. Yeah. What, what's it like over there where you're at? Where's home for you right now for the benefit of the listener? Yes, so I'm in Munich in Bavaria, in the south of Germany, since oh, really? okay. yeah, more than 40 years. With a, some breaks, I, I've been living here, yeah. And were you born and raised there? No, no, no. I was born in Nuremberg, raised in another part of Germany, and then moved to, uh, to Munich when I was, I think, 14, 15. Okay. My my family uh, thought it's good to be in a big city for the uh, three girls we were we are 
So, yes, it was exciting then to be here. It was just when the Olympic Games uh, started in, in Munich. At, at that time, we moved. So it was really exciting for the bad and the good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. All what happened in 1972, yeah, the hostages. And, yeah. Yeah, so it was an exciting start. Yeah, that's a historical moment. Historical, yes. Yeah. For folks that have not been to Munich, what's uh, what are some of the, the highlights? Well, I really like uh, the old part, so the beautiful Nymphenburg Castle in the middle of the city, uh, the summer castle actually of the king. But I also like the opera in the middle of, uh, of Munich. And I'm a fan of the English garden. I lived as a student very close to the English garden. That's the green lung of, of Munich. Yeah. And I did my walks with my dog and biked through the university. So it was a, a nice experience being a student in Munich. I studied at the Ludwig Maximilians University. Okay. And how was uh, life growing up in Munich? That was good. Did you live in more of a, a city proper or were you in more rural area? No, really at the, yeah, at the city, not center, but at a little bit of, of in the western part, outskirts, 10 minutes to a downtown. So okay. that was really convenient. Yeah. And the family had a flat. What was your experience growing up in terms of, uh, when you when I grew up in New York, I was born in El Salvador, and I think it was the 80s. So there was a lot of packaged foods. I don't think there was a lot of information available. We seem to have lost, you know, our connection to real food and farms and nature. And I'm, I'm wondering what your experience was like growing up. Yeah. But we moved from a rural area where we had the farm across our house, where I could see the cows uh, mm-hmm. on the meadows buying the milk there just across uh, the little street that was uh, in that, yeah, it was a big village actually with schools and, and shops and but uh, with, with farms around directly. So, and the hens, so the eggs, I just got to my neighbors and, and we, we bought them fresh there and the same with the meat and, and the milk. So I had that very direct connection with where food is really coming from and that experience. And I loved it. I loved the cows. I mean, every day I walked there and really felt close. I felt to be at a good place in that age between nine and and 14 in the rural areas. And I always missed it. I never needed a big city, but I still live in a big city. <laughs> it's a, it's a bit of a contradiction, maybe. In my older age, I definitely want to be on the countryside again. Also, I'm 66 already. <laughs> Talk a little bit about what your plans were. I, I know we may be going a bit far back, but as you were finishing university and entering the, you know, what we call here the nine to five life, you know, what, what were your aspirations? You know, what, what type of work were you aspiring to do? What kind of projects were you excited about? Definitely never a nine-to-five job. My father was an entrepreneur, so I grew up with that spirit to be independent and uh, work in the framework that is set by myself and not by somebody else. And 
I could never imagine myself in an office job from nine to five. Somebody else gives me some papers and I had to finish tasks. So that was not on my list, no. And in my studies, you know, I studied Chinese, so Sinology, philosophy and political science. So the early aspiration was changing the world to a better world and impacting the world and understanding the world a, a little bit better. So I traveled, I, I went to Asia, I studied in Taiwan and worked then in China. So no, not, not a nine to five something for me. And I always had so much pleasure, satisfaction, creating something new. For me, is creating a new company, creating a new organization, not work. It's, it's the pleasure, it's the satisfaction, what I get my energy from. And I did that from the very beginning. Only when I really had to earn money, that was always the, let's say, <laughs> the less satisfactory part I choose to to be in a in a regular job, but even in in that business career, founding my own computer company, representing Acer, that was very very new. When I was studying in Taiwan, I started a, a trade office for my father there. Besides studying and teaching, I never could imagine myself. Being from my age, 25, finishing my master, and then the rest of my life in one job. So I really have experience in many fields in creating. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering where the interest in Chinese medicine. I'm a fairly spiritual person, and I love alternative medicine, and I've, I've looked in and, and read about everything about holistic medicine and metropaths. So it's not an area that's foreign to me. I'm just curious when that interest uh, started for you? Already in school, I was interested in, in China. And as soon as I went to China to really uh, understand the culture better, in, in university, you cannot learn something about people and a country, really. So it, that was in the late 70s. And I decided to either give up uh, learning Chinese or to go to the country. And the mainland was not open. And I was very interested in Mao Zedong's ideas, changing uh, the society, um, very leftist, uh, thinking that that could be uh, really the change for society. It was not. I had to learn that the tough way. But that was really... Then the reason when I was in Taiwan, I met a Chinese, traditional Chinese doctor who took me on his, on his visits to, to patients and gave me the first introduction on what acupuncture, what herbal medicine can do. And that impressed me deeply what I saw, how he could help people, poor people. I mean, they didn't pay him. We went in the night on, on trains across Taiwan to, to go to really serious sick people. And he was a dedicated, I mean, that is really the idea of a traditional doctor. You cure before people get really sick, or that is what you have to do, the prevention of, of sickness. And then it uh, started my interest, and it's still there. 
And then you, you returned to Germany and you, you began, you started your own practice and you started developing centers in Germany. Later, later, later on. No, in between, I had that very technical background from my father as business and buying semiconductors in, in Asia. So I was always very close to technology and socialized by technology is something really good. So I came into that early stage of computer development in Taiwan where they did the first IBM clones. Wow. And so I had that contact through my, my father's office and Siemens and really big companies. And when I returned to Germany, I represented that first computer companies importing personal computers to Germany. So that was in between. And then I got really, let's say, fed up with pressing the last penny out of the suppliers and uh, negotiating good deals for only one part. And that was the Western companies and, and not the local people in the yeah, in, in the really dirty backyard of production at that time in the 80s. It was so I didn't want to go ahead with it anymore. And and that is when I started the Asia Network Information Center, still connected to an online platform for information on Asia, but much more in the direction of development work, what I did later than in China for the Konrad Adenauer Foundation. It must have been uh, exciting because, I mean, 80s for com personal computers, I mean, it's really, really, it was super early days. It's almost like the internet in like late 90s, you know, just to be experiencing that and to be one of the first companies to have that connection to create those clones. And, and so it's fascinating for me that you had the interest and the passion for Chinese medicine while at the same time, this other passion for technology, which sometimes they, they don't mix. And so it seems to be, not to use a cliche term, but the, the yin and yang <laughs> for you is the mix of the, the, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. And now with vertical farming, all of that comes together for me. Technology, but also biology, the marriage of these two so important development in our history, I think are really decisive transformation for us. Machines and and us, I mean us, I mean life and and that is really a very, very exciting topic in time. And we have now we are at a moment, I mean, we need to combine that to to find solutions for the future. It's really something, it's not frightening me if we are very aware of what we are doing. And, but we need these tools. We need technology. I don't have any problem with, uh, with that. I was the, the first person in the EU Commission for Asia consulting who had an email address. None of my older colleagues, I mean, even didn't knew about that, but that was, <laughs> I mean, that we cannot, I mean, you cannot probably imagine how that is. When I studied in Taiwan, I had to wait six weeks for a letter from my parents and they had to wait. And 
we had to go downtown to have a prepaid call, which we could only afford once a month because it was now I take my handy, my mobile phone and or send a WhatsApp. It's total times really have have dramatically changed and, and for the good. Yeah, for the good, I think. I mean, just the, this conversation that we're having now, for the benefit of the listener, we're using a tool called Squadcast, and we're able to have a video conversation over the internet. Yes. And uh, the quality is going to be good as well, because re- this technology captures the audio locally, so it, it'll, it's going to sound good, So, which is fascinating. And, and I think I've always been a fan of technology as, as well. And I'm wondering, you mentioned and introduced the work with vertical farming. So it looks like you started the organization around 2013. So what I'm curious about is what was, where were you at that point in your career? And how did the idea, the concept of of vertical farming, indoor farming, like how did you start to become aware of it? Very simple. My son brought it into my life or in our life, family life. He went to Sealand for finding out what his purpose in life, worked there for Greenpeace and uh, traveled and so on. And he wrote Shortly before I came, I found what I want to do, and that is vertical farming. Never heard that was 2012. I never heard about that. Okay, okay, <laughs> give me some more information. So, vertical farm, the book of Dex- Dixon Despomier, he read and he immediately contacted him, and then they exchanged. And we met then on his way back to Germany. I said, before you come back to Germany after a year, let us meet and talk in, in Asia. I mean, we we have been in China. He has been as a, a young boy in China with me, with the family. So he was very close. So we met in Burma, in, in Myanmar, to talk about the future. And then I got really interested and uh, said, okay, I read. I and said, I totally understand you. That's something I can connect to. It's really answering a lot of challenges, uh, and uh, it, it is a part of the solution, probably. But then it, that was so early uh, that hardly anybody has heard about it, except that very small community. And then, uh, yeah, the idea came up, and I said, okay, I interest very interested, and that is, I was a EU fundraiser at that time, but that was a a bread shop, just uh, and not really something with passion for me. And so I said, okay, I know how to start organizations, startups, and I've done that before several times. I help you set up that organization. But from the beginning was international because of my network, and uh, but also because we immediately understood that is a international, a global topic, and a global challenges we have to answer and here we were and that's how it started seven people a handful of people who (laughs) who said okay that's what we are going to do we will build up the biggest uh, non-profit organization and i said my condition is to be non-profit because i don't want to be in business to have a startup or yeah to raise awareness and understanding for the topic that's how it started. Yeah. So talk to me about the, the early days and what was, you had the idea for creating the organization and what was the intention given your experiences, obviously everything we've just talked about that led you up until this point. 
what was the plan? Like, who was the outreach going to be? And what was, I'm just curious about, I'm always fascinated by origin stories. So I'm curious about those early days. How were you thinking about organizing the the structure of the organization itself? And then what was what was the mandate? You know, what, what were you looking to do and what were you looking to, to accomplish? So the mandate clearly was to raise awareness and build a network, a collaboration and cooperation platform that the few people, the few companies, the few institutions who were active in that field at that time have a place together to exchange and to grow from there organically, like a cell, you know, biology. So life, that is exactly. And I I really thought or we were persuaded once you do something at the right time, it will grow organically and by itself. We didn't have a penny, just, I mean, the, the little money. We started, I think, with 500 euros or something. And that was not a concern at all. It was not about uh, how much money do we need? Do we make a business plan? No, it was really, we know it's right. We know it. we need to do that. And it will be successful and working. And what we needed was a computer, a telephone, and a desk. And I had that office. So that was not an investment. And time and dedication. And all of the people who were there at that very beginning were dedicated. Nobody asked, okay, how many hours do I have to work? And uh, and do I get a paycheck? No, it was pro bono and, and voluntary. And it worked. I mean, I called universities, said, okay, this is who we are. This is our mission. And are you in? And people said, yes, 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 sure. I mean, I didn't call Siemens in in the beginning. I called people and organizations who had been in that field. Like it was the university, Max, my son was studying Haas University was one of the, or is still the leading one in that field with Wacheningen University. Wacheningen at that time was very critical about vertical farming. And uh, Columbia University with Dixon Despomier, he supported us. And a university here in Stuttgart, Hohenheim, the German Aerospace Institute, and they get it and, and it grew. What were some of the challenges in those early days? To explain uh, what vertical farming is. It's still the challenge. Yeah. People had no clue. If At that time, when you did a Google search, you got maybe seven hits. Now you get uh, 70 million, probably. It was unbelievable. When we looked for the right name, Association for Vertical Farming, I mean, after nights of brainstorming with a good glass of red wine or white wine, that name came up. It was not clear from the beginning how we should uh, name ourselves. Uh, people had not heard about vertical farming. What is that? No idea. So that is less the challenge, but it's still the challenge to explain what are the benefits? Why do we need it? The questions are still the same. Why don't we just use sun and soil? And now with climate change and COVID, I think 
that really helped a lot in these past two years. Thank you for that. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, unfortunately. What was your role early on and, and how has that changed to where the role you serve now, uh, present day? In the beginning, as a newcomer into that field, with a very different background from philosophy and political science and, and not agriculture, I really played the role for the organizational setup for the legal and administrative things, the real, let's say, the, the people in front uh, contacting and representing, knowing much more than me about it, was not me. So I was really more in, in the back than I am now. That totally changed. But I really had to grow into that role and, and into the and also into the field to really understand. Now I've traveled nearly all over the world and uh, I've seen so many vertical farms. I've met so many people and talked to them that my understanding, my picture is completely different than 2013. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your experience as you were learning more about the industry, as more companies were coming to the space and probably just maybe you know, when you think about starting in 2013 and think about how much investment money has been coming into this space, venture capital money in the you know, past in, you know, two or three years, and the scale and the size of the projects, you know, when you look at the aerofarms and the boweries and the plenties and, you know, the, the scale at which these organizations are operating is having a, a big impact. And obviously, they're getting a lot of attention and they're, they're getting a, a lot of uh, publicity and exposure, which is good overall for the industry. And so i am just been wondering what, what your take on it is as you start to meet and have conversations with the CEOs of all these companies and you know where you think the organization, the association can play a role and if there's any ideas or requests for, for partnerships with these types of organizations that you think would be helpful. Yeah. Let me put it like that. The need for cooperation and collaboration is still immensely. The hide up of data, of sharing, of being willing to really exchange is still very limited. And two years ago, I would have said we are in a nascent state of development in that vertical farming industry. The Part of the production is maybe 0.01% of all the agricultural output. So it's still tiny. It's insignificant. So we would need more cooperation that vertical farms and vertical farm produce is more accepted, more widely implemented. And I still miss that. I still miss it, especially from the big players, Bio Farms, Plenty, Bowery. They could collaborate, they could be more open, and, and that would really help the whole industry. And especially under the circumstances that climate change is pressing, that the planet is really on the brink, and we would need to implement vertical farming widely and not just having a big farm here and there. 
none of the big players who have announced since years to have 100 vertical farms here and 50 here did it and couldn't do it. And I totally understand for for many reasons, for the investment, but also for the technology. Uh, the, the technology was not mature enough to really being able to to expand in the way they wanted it or they planned it or they announced it. They often announce it much too early instead of waiting till they are really able to do it. And then expectations are high and, and then the disappointments are high and the trust is going down. So all of that is not really considered enough. And that is why an association like the AVF is so important. We are unbiased. Uh, people, especially politicians, want from us unbiased, true data and information. They don't want to have the marketing stuff from the companies. Uh, so that is an important role the AVF needs and plays um, in, the, in the industry. And as I said, collaboration and exchange uh, is so much needed because we don't have the time to wait. The time is running. The clock is running. If we do not act now, politics is not ready to really move forward. It is the industry and that has to do it. And collaboration would help a lot. Can you talk a little bit about the companies that have partnered with ABF or the relationships you've built with companies in the space and give a couple of examples of how that has been a, a successful partnership and, and what's been the benefit for ABF in terms of working with these companies? Yeah, the visibility, I think, is one of the major benefits AVF members have, and that is what the feedback is, um, to be seen as a player, what they do and how they act and what they can offer. That is what we uh, can enable, I think, with either our conferences, our webinars, or just connecting members with each other. And that has been growing in the last three years substantially. This is probably also the reason why we are um, growing so much because people or companies see that benefit and that is what they appreciate and what they need to to have. Well, I was going to ask if you could explain for listeners that are new to the or hearing about the organization a little bit about the roadmap and the plans that you have for the growth of AVF and how to deepen those relationships with these companies? Yeah. I mean, our big plan, we have worked on that now for a year, is a certification, a CA certification, sustainability produce. So we have developed with industry players across the globe to develop, uh, develop criterias for a label for the produce of uh, vertical farming. So consumers can easily see, okay, how sustainably that produce has been produced in a vertical farm, where it has been produced, how much water was used, how much electricity, and, and, and. And that will come into public or we will go 
public with it in March already. And then farms can be certified. And I think that will help a lot of transparent for transparency and also visibility again. That is one uh, of our major pro projects for this year. But the other big thing for us is VertiFarm, the first vertical farming trade show in September this year with Messe Dortmund. So to really help the industry grow and be seen as a significant industry in the world, we needed a trade show of our own, not being part of a horticulture show or being part of fruit and, and product show, but really having a vertical farming and new food systems trade show. And we will run and organize the complete content, the program around and within VertiFarm. That is, a, in my understanding, and also we consulted and talked a lot with members and non-members, are we ready for that? And it's a bit risky, yes, but we have always been the organization to be first runners. So let's take a little risk. And we found with Messe Dortmund an ideal partner who was willing to really put also a lot of money into it to go for it. And I really think it's the right time, 2022, uh, to start with it on a yearly basis to get a vertical farming industry its own show. I'm sure it's it will be a success because sitting really in person again and not hybrid and not uh, online, uh, sitting with people and partners and discussing projects and exchanging and seeing is really super beneficial and so much needed, especially after this third year in COVID. And end of September, I'm, I'm very uh, sure, like last year, we did the fifth AVF summit in Munich with the support of the Bavarian government. Also, that was a big step for us that the traditional agricultural government was showing clearly, okay, that is an important topic for us. Um, September will be for sure possible COVID, Omicron, or whatever we have that people can meet in person. So these are, yeah. Yeah, I think people are, yeah, I think people are learning, and it's happening here in the States, but I think we are learning how to live with COVID and the, the variants. And I think we, we all realize that we can't let it dictate our lives forever because we'll, we can't be indoors forever. <laughs> and uh, I think it's important to find a way to just, you know, understand the importance of taking care of our own health, but also maintaining our own sovereignty and, and, our, and our ability to make, you know, the decisions we feel are right for ourselves. And so I think more and more people are opening up to that. So I'm wondering, is that event going to be in, in Germany, in Munich? No, not in Munich, in Dortmund. Then we are closer to the Benelux and Netherlands, more in the center of, of Germany. So it's it's northwest. Dortmund near Cologne. And they have a new exhibition, beautiful exhibition area. Yeah, I think it's it's a very good location. And it's the the most twenty million people living around that area. So just that makes it really interesting. There's been a couple of smaller events, and I'm going to be attending one in Las Vegas called Indoor AgCon, 
uh, indoor.ag. And so I've been uh, working with the, the team there. They've been sponsors of the show. So I'm, I'm grateful to that. So I think they're partnering with the horticulture event as well. So it, and, it, and it's a couple of days. So that, that'll be my first vertical farming conference. But, I'll, but definitely keep us, keep us up to date on the, your conference in September as you get more information because I'd be happy to, to promote it as well. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. You're more than welcome to come. How about that? <laughs> I've never been to that part of the world. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So it's time to travel. Yeah. Is information about the conference on the website yet? Yes. Yeah. We have a own website. The Vertifarm uh, website is on. Oh, yes. And I, I don't want to forget uh, in May in Bangkok, Horti Asia, we will run a conference program and a vertical farming pavilion at Horti Asia. It is one of the biggest or the biggest Asian events. And especially now, as we can't really enter China, where, I mean, China is a very big and important market, but it's so difficult. So Bangkok for us is a, is a very good balancing event for us. A lot of Asian players will go there. And Thailand is opening up to, to vertical farming a lot. And Singapore is close. So I think also be in that region for AVF, it, it is very important. Yeah, so I have the website and then we'll, we'll provide all the links in the show notes for this episode, but it's vertifarm.de for the location for the website. Yes. And if are you looking for sponsors? Are you looking for getting the word out about companies to attend? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, we're especially uh, looking forward to have U.S. companies there, Asian companies. I think we will have companies from Africa and South America attending and Europe will be very much present. A lot of quite exciting things in the vertical farming world will be published in the coming three to four months. Can't talk about it now, but you will see some really big news and surprises here in Europe. So that's one reason also to show the world that Europe is really active in that field and capable of uh, new technologies and interesting uh, new developments. Robotics and um, machine learning is so important in vertical farming. But still, we have to find a good balance between automation and technology and, and having also systems that are locally, because we are doing a project in Africa that is really important for my heart, that agroforestry, regenerative agriculture and vertical farming can be a wonderful match to food security re-naturing and helping really the local uh, people on another level probably than we do it here at the moment uh, to go into that new field of farming, to have innovation. Yeah, it's interesting this concept of reforestation and marrying it with you know the intent and the efforts that are happening now in the world of vertical farming. And it, it makes sense because I'm, I'm familiar with, with that movement as well. My partner is really passionate about nature and trees. And I don't know if you've seen an, a Netflix uh, documentary called uh, Call of the Forest, 
which is about the importance of reforestation. Oh, wonderful. It's, it's really good as well. Yeah. You know, my Chinese sign is wood. So I really feel connected to trees and to nature. As I said, technology is important, an important tool. But please never forget that we are part of nature and that vertical farming can play a role freeing land, giving back to nature and not using more and more land. That is how my understanding is. And that is what we want to try now in a first project in Uganda and Cameroon. And I'm, I'm very passionate about it. We would need donations for that, for example. That is would be wonderful. So many projects and opportunities, and obviously, you know, they all need funding and they all need prioritization. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, as you think about the challenges you have coming up in getting awareness for AVF and in growing the organization, is there an ask that you have of this audience specifically? My most, I mean, what I always try uh, to communicate is uh, that we have to use technology wisely. It's not just there to implement something new we have we have developed, but it has to make sense and has to be reasonable and useful in the sense that it has a purpose for the betterment of, of life, of, of the people. And I think that, that is an important message I would like to, to tell the audience. But also, please, I mean, don't compete when there is no need for competition and, and closing up. Share what you can share. And that is also, I think, a very important uh, need of, of our times. Yeah, I think it's been really important because I naturally, as I speak to companies on this podcast, a lot of them you know, do similar things. But the constant thread through these conversations has been that uh, this is a pressing need and we need as many people working on this project and working on this effort as possible. And so there really, as much as there is a bit of competition in the space, to the extent that we can find ways to work together, and I think the work that you're doing with the AVF helps to be that bridge, maybe that neutral bridge, you know, that Switzerland, but in Germany, <laughs> just that, that neutral place for companies to come together to find ways to collaborate. Yes. And the last two years, I saw that more and more, especially last year, I really appreciate it. And then that gives me a lot of energy for my work when I see that industry players, big ones, are also coming in and understand that they need collaboration and they want it. And that is really, I think, a change. I see that change coming now. And all of the uh, players who are not willing to share and cooperate will be left out at the end. It's really, how do you say in English, a, a call of, of, the, of the time or how, how do you say, how, how do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's almost like a call to action. A call to action, right. Thanks. Yeah, that it is. Yeah. And I see more uh, companies uh, gathering in the AVF, having that mindset. And that's uh, very nice to see. That's, that's a good development. And then I invite everybody to, to come and 
and be part of that. And so when organizations or individuals, I, I see that you have different price points for people. So even if you're, you know, one person or all the way up to, you know, multinational corporations, they can join at different levels. Um, and then I, I imagine there's a different benefits for the different levels that you join. But essentially, once you join, you become part of this community and, and begin to have conversations within the community as well. Yes. I mean, for the companies, there are definitely more benefits because they get reductions in prices for tickets and speaking positions and and all of that. That's for an individual, maybe not that so important, but any individual who is supporting us is part of the community and can reach out to to everybody. And I think that is for also for the startups that is what they mostly give us as a feedback for them to connect and be seen um, from the bigger players and to hook up with them is is a golden opportunity but that is also something the bigger players appreciate that they see okay i have a very um, very um, high level of knowledge here where where i can um, where I can have a, a cooperation or even being partnering with, with them for a project or they need robotics in inner systems. Why do you need to develop it by yourself if you have a, already a pretty perfect startup who has focused on that? And that is, I think th this is what more and more people see. So I think that's very admirable vision and so we'll make sure we have links to all of those it's vertical-farming.net to learn more now and, and i'll have links for people to, to join and sign up and i encourage our listeners because anyone who's listening to this show is someone who's interested in this space and i would imagine you'd find a a, a level that you can join on and to support that work that uh, christine and the team is doing i want to thank you for coming on the show I, I really enjoyed our conversation and and i i think I've, I've heard about the organization as i started the podcast as i was doing my research probably a couple of years ago so i'm very happy that we finally were able to, to connect and to hear your story and and i think your your background your history your interests it's very fascinating to see how all those things have come together for you to have this as your mission now, <laughs> the, uh, the the AVF, and I think what you're doing is really positive work for the industry. So I applaud you for that. Thank you so much, Harry. That it, it was very enjoyable to talk to you. Yeah, thanks a lot. And so the best place for folks to learn more is at the website. Is there any other contact information you want to provide? Write to me. Send me an email. C Z L at vertical farming dash net and and then yeah i'll i'll answer okay sounds good we'll make sure we have those con that contact information uh, available as well appreciate you taking the time to, to share your story with my audience christine thank you for having me yeah it was a pleasure appreciate you checking in again and listening to this replay of christine i know there's a, a lot of content available for you hopefully you've made your way through most of the catalog as we prepare for season nine so please do that if you have not done so already because this is a bonus episode for season eight i want to continue to thank the partnership we've had over the years with cultivated if you are looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today and best of all their services free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. 
podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at the full slate of services we provide at fullcast.co forward slash services. Okay, looks like everything is lining up for next week and the kickoff of season nine. So please stay tuned and share with as many people as possible so that they follow and subscribe and get the episode pushed to their podcast player of choice as soon as it's available. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.